you stand with me and go in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning at verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can look for it on your digital device there or read with us on the screen this morning. I want to use as a subject as we continue discussing I love my church, I want to use as a subject this morning, I love the house of prayer. And the Bible gives us the account this morning out of Luke's, pardon, out of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 21, verse 10. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Then they became indignant. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for your word, which is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray this morning that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that they might hear the word of God with a receptive heart. And I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. This morning I pray that you would stir us as you stirred the people of Jerusalem upon your entry into the city. And above all, I pray that you would stir us to be a people of prayer in a desperate time for our nation, that we might not cease to pray and to behold the beauty of the Lord in his tabernacle. I pray this in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. I love the house of prayer. The text from which we are reading this morning is one that is often uh, difficult for us to imagine or comprehend. We find in this text a set of emotions exhibited by Jesus Christ which do not generally fit into our picture of Him. I think usually when people think of Jesus, they think of a meek, mild-mannered, soft-spoken gentleman. But that is really not the picture of the Jesus of the New Testament. And it is certainly not the picture of Jesus that we find in this text. Without a doubt, Jesus was the meekest and mildest and most gentle of all men, but he was also the most direct and the toughest and the strongest of men. From him would come the powerful voice of God, for he was indeed God in human flesh. At the reading of my text this morning, we find that Jesus has come into the city of Jerusalem. This is going to be the last week of his life on earth. By the end of the week, he will be crucified to a cross. And we will die for the sins of many, sins of the world. But as he enters the city of Jerusalem, there is a stirring of the hearts of the people and they recognize that he is the Messiah prophesied by the Old Testament. 
So some of them began to bring out cloth and they lay them on the streets of Jerusalem so that his uh, entourage may walk over them and others take out palm branches and began to wave them on high shouting Hosanna Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were witnessing the fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah's prophecy saying that the king, the Messiah of Israel would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey colt. And so he enters into the city of Jerusalem and he makes his way to the temple mount. Jerusalem is sitting upon a mount and the high part of the mount is called the temple mount and it is that place which was designated for the house of God. Extraordinary place in its significance and in its history. For it was there on the temple mount that that Abraham had offered up Isaac to God as a sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord had held his hand and, and had accepted his obedience in that moment that happened on the temple mount. It was on the temple mount, a a threshing floor was laid bare where David had purchased the land for the building of the temple. And upon that place, prostrate before God, when David prayed, the Bible says that the Lord stopped the plague that was destroying the nation of Israel. It was on the temple mount where Solomon, the son of David, would build the house of God, a permanent structure. And upon the temple mount, the Solomon's temple was built, which was magnificent by all accounts and was viewed by all as one of the great wonders of the ancient world. And it was there where Solomon, when he prayed, the Bible says that when he had made an end of praying, the fire fell. It was the temple mount which God had designated a place to put his name. The place where he put his name was the temple. And upon that temple he made a covenant with Israel. And he said through the prophet Isaiah, When the foreigner of distant countries comes to offer sacrifice in this house, their sacrifices shall be accepted. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Aren't you glad that God's house is a house of prayer for all peoples? And so Jesus makes his way now to this very historic location. And upon the temple mount, when he enters into the temple courts, he sees what was astounding and astonishing to his eyes and something boiled up on the inside of him. Uh, The best word we could use is the word anger, but anger doesn't fully describe it because Jesus was a sinless man. He never had a sin nature. So the anger that he experienced was not like the anger you experienced when you walk into the house and it's been uh, it's been trashed by the kids okay this is not that kind of anger this was a zeal a jealousy for the significance of the place two things were going on in the temple mount first of all we noticed that they were buying and selling on the temple mount now this was not unusual it was not even wrong because you see the place the temple was the place to offer your sacrifices and by the ordinance of God you had to bring perfect sacrifices so if you brought a lamb the lamb had to be perfect spotless without blemish no broken bones no broken hooves no broken horns it had to have a spotless coat and so if you traveled 80 or 90 miles to get to the temple and you brought a sheep with you that sheep was not going to be in very good condition when you got to the house of God 
So God made provision for the selling of sacrificial animals that were kosher and were ready to be offered up. And so the people of Israel would take their money to the temple and they would buy the animals for sacrifice. The problem wasn't the buying and selling of the animals. The problem was that man had taken over the system. We call that religion when man takes over God's system. When man starts to put his own ideas and colors and shades and rules and regulations on God and what God has established. And so the sacrificial system was intended to bring people to God. But the religion of the day had separated from people from God. And so they would say, well, if you want to buy your sacrifice, you have to go over to the table of the money uh, exchange and you have to buy temple coins. And so they would go over to buy temple coins. It was like cashing in your dollars for tokens. At the, at the car wash except that um, this, this was a temple system and so they would get the temple's uh, coins but while you were exchanging your money for the temple coin that would, they would charge you a high degree of interest so that while maybe the lamb cost 30 or 40 dollars you ended up spending a hundred dollars and they made the sacrifices of God a chore for the people of Israel Something else was going on. The temple court was at one of the gates of Jerusalem. There are 12 gates in the city of Jerusalem. And it just so happened that the temple court was near one of those gates. So people, uh, if they wanted to traverse through the city and not have to walk all the way around, they would drive, they would, they would walk through that gate that led up to the temple mount and they would create a shortcut through the city of Jerusalem. And so the temple mount became a shortcut to man's objectives. I speak of an ancient city and an ancient temple, but I speak of a modern problem. Religion is still pushing men and women away from God. And man's desire to find shortcuts with God is still prevailing and destroying his soul to an eternal hell. God will not bless the shortcuts that we take. There are no shortcuts with God. So when Jesus walks into the temple mount, he is outraged. The zeal of the house of God consumes him. And it is impossible or difficult for us to imagine. But the Son of God, the meek and mild Lamb of God, takes a scourge of cords and he begins to turn over tables and toss over the money changers and their chairs and makes a cleansing of the temple. Friend, can I tell you that there is no greater thing in America today that is needed in the church than a cleansing of the temple. We need a cleansing of the house of God. For you know the Bible says that the body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. You and I, we need daily to seek a cleansing of our heart. A cleansing of the temple of our heart. For you see that over time we accumulate the mess and mire of daily life. We accumulate unforgiveness and unrepentance. And, and we accumulate those things that are dishonorable to God. We accumulate images that are unpleasing to God. Thoughts that are unpleasing to God. And the Lord needs to come through and cleanse the temple every once in a while and friend if you will allow him to do that it will make your soul pure and clean before God sometimes when he cleanses our heart it's difficult because he takes out the thing that we love 
God will always go for the thing that's standing between you and Him. He is jealous for His glory and He is jealous for you. And He will always remove the idols that have been erected between you and Him. He'll cause them to be moved out of the way. And so when He does that, at times it's difficult. We say, oh God, I loved that. I, I liked that. I, need, I felt I needed that. He'll take out those things that would cause your, you to be distracted from Him. Oh friend, there should be a cry in our hearts this morning saying, God, remove whatever thing is in my life that is not pleasing and acceptable in your sight I want to know you I want to be purified and cleansed by you while he's cleansing the temple he quotes the prophet Isaiah and he says my house shall be called the house of prayer He speaks of the fact that the house of God has a purpose preeminent and paramount above all else. Notice that Jesus did not say, my house shall be called a house of preaching. How many of you like good preaching? I love good preaching. I spend most of my week listening to good preaching. But you know the Bible doesn't say the house is a house of preaching. We need preaching. We need the teaching of the word. We need to be instructed the word of God. And so long as, as you and I are pursuing the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word, we're going to be growing spiritually. But it's not, it's not primarily a house of preaching. It is primarily something else. He didn't say my house should be called a house of singing. How many of you like to sing? We love to sing, especially when uh, there's a beat we like. Sometimes a song gets in our heart, it gets in our mind, and that thing won't go away. You might have it all day long, and you hope it's a good song, not an annoying one, right? But sometimes we love to sing, and I love it when the house of God is full of the voices of God's people, and, and you can just hear the chorus of worship rising up to heaven. It's beautiful when we sing. It's powerful when we sing. But he didn't say, my house should be called a house of singing. Neither did he say my house should be called a house of fellowship. How many of you like fellowship? You know, we went to a church one time. Everybody on the stage was skinny. I mean, skinny. Skinny. I, I said to the guys, I said, I bet you this church has a skinny thing. They have a thing about being skinny on stage. And, and so I had to investigate a little bit, you know. And I found out that that was actually what was going on. The pastor had put everybody on a diet. I think that's, that anointing is about to fall on Kingsway Church. <laughs> but I left there, I was kind of, I was like, well, they have a skinny culture. I said, we have a culture of fellowship at Kingsway Church. <laughs> we love to break bread, don't we? I love fellowship. We love fellowship, don't we? To be able to sit and, and be at the table with our brethren and, and to eat and to enjoy life. But friend, he didn't say this would be a house of fellowship. It is a house of fellowship. And thank God for that. But there's more still than that. He didn't say my house should be called a house of charity. That indeed is true as well. And so often, and so it's so awesome to be able to have members of our community come in and receive food in their hour of need and, and charity. But this is not primarily a house of charity. Jesus said, my house 
shall be called the house of prayer. That this must be a house of prayer. A place for supplication and, and a place for seeking the face of God. That is the greatest need of America today. It is a praying church. It's good to have a cool church. It's good to have a relevant church. It's good to have an active church. But oh, how we need a praying church. We need a church that knows how to get a hold of God. My house shall be called the house of prayer. What is prayer, pastor? Prayer is an act of sincere, sensible, passionate pouring out of one's heart to God. Prayer requires sincerity of heart. A genuine heart. A, an honesty before God. Who sees all anyway. It's funny the way we pray sometimes. As if God doesn't know. What we're really doing. He knows. When you and I come to him as David. We say create in me a clean heart O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And restore unto me a willing spirit. That prayer of sincerity is what God is seeking. He is seeking a church that will pray with sincerity before him. That will say God I don't have it all together. God I blew it this time. God I made the wrong decision. But I'm asking for mercy I'm asking for grace I'm asking for forgiveness and that friend that prayer will always find an affirmative answer prayer must be sensible thought out you know most Christians never think out their prayers before they pray it's a very good thing before you start praying to write down what you're going to pray about you know what I like to do? I like to write down what I'm going to pray about. And, uh, and then next to it, I, I put a Bible verse. There's my petition and my promise. I have the right to make a petition because I'm a child of God. And I have the right because there's a promise on it. Don't ever go to God without a promise. I love to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you said in your word. It's like when, when, uh, when little Susie goes to daddy and says, you said you were going to take me to get ice cream. He's obligated. Daddy's obligated now because he said to Susie he was going to give her ice cream. Well, friend, God says, command ye me according to my word. But it has to be sensible of thinking through of what we're going to pray. So many times we come into prayer and we just ramble like we're trying to fill up dead space. God doesn't need the, the length of your prayer. He needs the sincerity of your prayer. And he needs the, the directness of your prayer. Pastor Young E. Cho, he said he prayed for a bicycle. The Lord gave him an old rusty bike. He said, all right, I'm going to change that up. He prayed again. He prayed, Lord, I want a shiny new red bicycle with a bell. 
Now he was praying sensibly. Prayer is an act of affection. It is a, a, an act of passion. The pouring out of the heart before God. The psalmist said of it like this. He said, like a deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. We find so many times passionless prayers. We pray courtesy prayers. God doesn't need our prayers, friend. We need prayer. You and I come before God. We, we pour out our soul. We set apart. The, we set our inner man aside and we go and do business with God. And in the passion of brokenness, in the passion of, of, of faith, in the passion of our determination to hear from God, we pour out our soul to God. He will not reject such a man or woman when they pray. Prayer is done through Christ. Jesus and his name alone can assure the believer of an answer to prayer. If you pray in the name of Kingsway Church, you will not get any answer to your prayer. If you pray in the name of your pastor, there will be no answer to prayer. If you pray in the name of a denomination, there is no answer to prayer. There is only one name that opens the door to the presence of God. And that is the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said before now, speaking to the disciples, you have not prayed like this, but from now on, you will pray like this in my name. He said, when you go before the, the Father, pray in my name, and whatsoever things you ask according to his will shall be given unto you. Jesus makes people Nervous when you mention him in public. We don't mind God. A wild unknown de deity. Nobody really knows about him. No, don't care about God. But Jesus, don't mention him in public. Why not? I'll tell you why. Because when you mention the name of Jesus, heaven's gates are open and hell's gates are shut at the mention of the name of Jesus. We pray through Christ, but we pray with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that you have a helper when you pray? You know, Romans chapter 8, it says this. It says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray. What do you mean I don't know how to pray? You don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. This flesh does not know how to pray. We don't know to take door A or door B. We don't know to take that opportunity or that opportunity. That job or that job. That wife or that wife. That, that guy or that guy, guy. I don't know. On and on the, the decisions of life come along. And we don't know how to pray. But when you begin to pray in the Spirit, the Spirit teaches you how to pray. He says because the Spirit knows the mind of God. Wouldn't you like to be able to pray and already know what God's will is so that you're assured, 
of getting the answer to your prayer. Wouldn't you like to know how to do that? Guess what? You can do that every day of your life when you pray in the Spirit. He helps us to pray, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. And so He prays through us with groanings too deep for words. We are not alone in prayer, but we pray by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And then we pray according to the promises of God. My house shall be called a house of prayer. When Solomon had made an end of praying, the Bible says the fire fell. How many of you want some fire? How many of you need some passion in your spiritual life? Friend, there is fire when you pray. I recall many of you were here when it happened. January 16th. Pardon, February 16th, 2014. I was about to dismiss the Sunday evening service at Kingsway Church. We weren't Kingsway yet. And as I was about to dismiss, it was one of those services where it was all right, but it wasn't all that. I have a general rule. If God hasn't shown up within an hour and a half, you might as well go home. And I was a little disappointed because there hadn't been any real touch of God's presence in that service. And I do not want to be the pastor of a church where it's normal not to experience the presence of God. I want to be the pastor of a church where it's normal to be in the presence of God. Where God's presence is like breathing air in the house of God. And I began, I was about to dismiss the service and I I began to, to yearn in my spirit for something more. I felt so moved to pray, I began to pray. And I think about that point, the congregation was ready for me to dismiss because it was already about 8.30 and by that time it was, they were ready to go on and get some dinner and go home. And yet I was beginning to pray and I began to pray and my heart was being poured out to God. And I remember the last words of the prayer. I said, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. And then I was quiet. I was standing right here in this spot. I was quiet. And suddenly it felt like heaven opened. And a 10,000 pound weight of the glory of God fell on me. I landed on my face right here. And I couldn't get up for a while. And then as, as I tried to get up, the glory of God started to fall on other members of the congregation. How many of you remember that? And for nine weeks, God poured out grace, 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 grace. We had just come out of a 21-day fast. And that day, that, the day we began the fast, I said, church, we're going to pray that when this is over, we will not recognize ourselves. I'll tell you what. We did not recognize ourselves. When they had made an end of praying, the fire fell. God still answers prayer. Elijah Elijah prayed and it rained when it had not rained for three and a half years. Joshua prayed and the sun stopped. Jesus prayed and sinners were forgiven for they knew not what they did. And when the church prayed, Peter was released from prison. For you see, Kingsway, 
As Thomas Brooks says, God is not looking for the elegancy of your prayers to see how neat they are. Nor the geometry of your prayers to see how long they are. Nor yet the arithmetic of your prayers to see how many they are. Nor yet the music of your prayers or to see the sweetness of your voice, nor yet the logic of your prayers, to see how strong your arguments are. But God seeks the sincerity of your prayers. He seeks your heart to be a heart of prayer. He said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. If you do nothing else when you come to church, pray. Because, friend, if you come to the house of God and you do everything else but you don't pray, you've missed the very purpose for coming into this house. Why do we preach? We preach so that you can hear the word. And when faith comes, it comes by hearing. And when your faith is built up, it's built up so that you can go and pray powerful, life-changing, atmosphere-shifting prayers. A house shall be called a house of prayer. But not only this, are you a house of prayer? Every believer ought to be a walking, talking house of prayer. Everywhere you go, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you're in a hospital room, you'll be a house of prayer there. If you're in the grocery store, be a house of prayer there too. If you're washing dishes, you can be a house of prayer right there and then. Well, you, you can be at work and be a house of prayer. I don't mean you have to get down on your knees and do all of those things, but just with your spirit communing with God. For the scripture says, pray without ceasing. It is an, a daily thing. It is a, a minute by minute communion with God. Sometimes your spirit is praying and you're, you're over here doing what you need to do, but your spirit is communing with God. You can be a house of prayer. You know, I I think the greatest tragedy of our digital age is we have reduced our attention span to a screen. We pray prayers as big as our phone screen. The church used to pray prayers like John Knox, Lord, give me Scotland or I'll die. What are we praying for? Quiet at Kingsway this morning. What are we praying for? It's time to let our soul expand to pray the prayers as big as God. To pray prayers that only God can answer. To pray prayers so big that they defy human logic and understanding. Church, we must be a house of prayer. Sometimes when I draw you to a time of prayer in church, I'll do the following. I'll ask you to raise your hands. You can always tell when when we have some Guests, because they don't really know about this hand-raising business. It's all right. When we were out in the park, I said, raise your hands for the blessing. Some of those people were like. Why? Why do we raise our hands? The Bible says men ought always to pray, raising up holding holy hands. 
Why? Because, because you see, church, when you and I change our posture, it's a way of telling our flesh. I'm about to pray now. So be quiet. I'm going to do business with God. When you pray, you need to change posture every once in a while. So you tell your flesh, your flesh who's boss. You see, you get down on your knees, you're telling your flesh, I'm going to seek God. But my knees hurt, I'm going to seek God. But I might not be able to get up, I'm going to seek God. Well, worry about that later. Right now, I'm going to seek God. Right now, I've got to get a hold of God. We raise our hands, we, we change our posture. Sometimes I'll ask you to come to the altar. Why, Pastor? Can I just as well pray in my pew as I can here? Yes, but sometimes your, your flesh just needs a shift in perspective so that you know that things are moving, that things are changing in your life. When you have a discussion at home and you say, you know, uh, we're just going to have just enough money to get to the end of the, of the month, but Lord willing, we'll do it. When you do that, I want you to reach across the table, grab your wife's hand and say, let's pray right now. And if she passes out, just wait and tell her, sorry, sorry, I surprised you like that, baby, but let's pray right now. She's going to say, who is this man and what has he done with my husband? Change your posture and say, we're going to pray. You draw the kids into the kitchen, get around the table and hold your hands together and pray and beseech the God of heaven and God will do wondrous things. I like to make the devil nervous. When I'm in a public place and we're going to pray, I like to raise my One other thing I'll tell you, I'll say, raise your hands and lift your voice. Oh, pastor, I can handle the hand raising, but the noise making, that's just not my thing. Why do I have to pray out loud? Isn't it just as good to pray quietly? Yes, there's a day for quiet prayers. Lord, save me, I'm going to kill this man. That's a good day for quiet prayer. There's a day for out loud prayers. Now, it's not always appropriate. You're in the house of God. The pastor's preaching. Not the time for out loud prayers. There are moments for that. You pray. If I'm praying, sometimes you pray quietly there in your pew. You agree with me. That's great. But sometimes there are days when we are called to corporate prayer. Acts chapter 4, the, the, the rulers of Israel, they said to the church, they said, if, if you pray, if you preach any more in the name of Jesus, we're going to throw you in prison. And Acts chapter 4 said that the church began to pray out loud. If anything, you would have thought that would be a day for quiet prayers. But they began, again, began to pray together out loud as one man with one voice. They began to remind God of his promises. I love the prayers of the book of Acts because they are so word saturated. They didn't have man's opinion. They said, God, you did this. God, you did this. God, you did this. God, you did this. And when they brought the word of God to God, the Bible said that when they had made an end of praying, the house began to tremble. The house began to shake. 
I'm talking to some people that you need some things shaken up in your life. You need some chains to be broken in your life. It's time to pray. Open up your voice and pray. I had the hardest time with these summer school students teaching them how to pray out loud. They're out loud about everything. And then I'd say, let's pray out loud, everybody together. They sounded like bees. Oh, we fight it to pray out loud. Our, our flesh fights it. Hell fights it. Because the word of God says, God has given this promise to the church. He said, I have made your mouth a weapon. A sword. I have put a sword in your mouth. When you and I begin to pray out loud, we pray in the spirit. We pray in sincerity. We pray in our passion toward God. We begin to upset the atmosphere and things begin to shift all around us. Then I'll tell you to do this. I'll say, boast in the Lord. Why do you do that, Pastor? Because when you start bragging on God, God shows up. If you start your prayers by saying, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need, Lord, I need. That's one way, but that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. Is that he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He began his prayer with adoration to God. And when you begin to brag on God, you begin to praise God in your prayers. The glory of God comes down. God becomes manifest in this house when you and I call upon Him and worship Him. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Now notice three things happened in Matthew 21 when Jesus stopped praying, when Jesus had made the house of prayer a house of prayer again. What was he cleansing? He was cleansing those things that were keeping God's people from God. What's keeping you from God? Let him cleanse it. Three things happened. First thing happened, the Bible says that Jesus began to teach. That's one cool teacher right there. He just upset the whole thing, turned over tables, made a big mess of things, and then he said, all right, I'm ready to teach now. When you pray, revelation will come. Did you hear me? When you pray, revelation will come. What most of you need is revelation. What is revelation, pastor? It's when God makes his word relevant in your situation. He opens your eyes. You see what he sees. Revelation comes through prayer. How many of you need wisdom? You need revelation. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives it freely and without reproach and it shall be given unto him. That's revelation. It comes through prayer. It comes through seeking the face of God. Then the Bible says that they, the, the blind and the lame came to him. And he healed them. He began to work miracles. When the house became a house of prayer. 
of you would like to see modern day miracles? Then you must make Kingsway Church a house of prayer. I have I have seen I have seen the blind see. I have seen an entire village of babies healed. I've seen some miracles with my eyes. Most of them outside of this country. And I believe it's because of this very principle. We have not made the house of God in America a house of prayer. We've turned it into a house of motivation. A house of encouragement. For others, a house of entertainment. No. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. When you and I pray and we seek the face of God, He will work miraculous works. Then, this is the one I I love. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it it says here that the, the youth began to worship God. Sounds like good news to me. How many of you would like to see teenagers worshiping God? I mean, teenagers on fire for God. I'm tired of seeing this generation of teenagers acting like God is a figment of their parents' imagination. I'm tired of seeing them sit in church and chewing gum like a cow chewing on cud. I want to see some teenagers on fire for God. Preaching the word of God. Worshiping the living God. He said my house shall be called a house of prayer. And when this is a house of prayer, we will see revival in this youth generation. Come on Kingsway Church. The youth don't need you to criticize them. They don't need you to pick on them. They don't need you to ignore them. They need you to pray for them. To go before God with earnest passion saying, God, revive, revive this generation. Jesus cleansed the temple and the youth woke up in their spirit toward God. Revival came upon the young generation. My house shall be called a house of